Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. Uh, this week, uh, as you know, it's Wednesday, so we pushed the uh, weekly call one day over. Um, and sorry for that inconvenience. I know a lot of you guys probably, uh, you know, had this booked uh, on a recurring basis in your calendar. So my apologies. But uh, we got some great questions, and I uh, want to get to them. I'm going to have uh, Logan read them off to me. And we'll wait a few more seconds for you guys to hop on. And let me go over to my comment section so I can see who's logging in. All right. Good morning. I see you guys are hopping on. We'll wait a few more seconds, and then we'll get this week's session started. Let me put my phone on mute. Good morning, Raul. It's good to see you here. Good morning, Russell. <clears throat> Clean desk. And good morning, Wendy. All right. Um, Logan, should we get started? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, good morning, Raul. Good morning, Tushar, Russell, Wendy. Good to see you. Uh, so our first question today is going to be from Kamal. He said, would Manny be able to provide a sample agreement or key considerations for a deal where I would put up the capital and my partner would provide the sweat equity and develop the property? Manny has mentioned that this is typical to do an 80-20 split, but was wondering what else to watch out for. Yeah, I mean, that's something you have to have your attorney uh, draft up. It's pretty much a tailored uh, LLC agreement. And typically how mine works, I've done a couple of these deals, um, is a person that puts up the capital, which would be you, um, you would get 100% of your capital return. Uh, distribution goes to you first until you get 100% of your capital recouped. And then from there on, the distributions would be 80-20. Um, it's pretty simple. I mean, any you know, uh, any attorney can draft it and modify the operating agreement in the section where it uh, calls out for how distributions are made in your operating agreement of the LLC. Um, you know, I mean, uh, that's basically how it's done. There's really no uh, complicated agreement just for this kind of a structure. It's just an LLC with uh, operating agreement modified in the section of the distributions. All right. And uh, next question from Timothy. Uh, good morning, Timothy. Said, looks like my partner and I will split 2.5 million in proceeds on an industrial building sale in San Diego. Congrats. Awesome. Uh, the problem is I don't see any deals for this 1031 money. Any ideas on how to position this cash? Well. That's a tough one. Um, you can go ahead into opportunity zone funds. I don't recommend that. Um, I looked at doing a, you know, a big portion of my uh, capital gains. I had about 19 million bucks uh, I was going to put into it. I spent an, a good year uh, looking for assets in opportunity zones, and I didn't find anything that was suitable. But you know, I would look out, uh, you know, out of a state uh, a small retail center, 
when I say a small under under a hundred thousand, not a power center, in other words, not a big box retailer, but you know, sixty to eighty thousand a square feet retail center that's got your Dollar Generals, the CVSs of the world, and then some of the mom and pop local uh, vendors. Those are pretty safe, and you can still get them. You know, uh, eight eight and a half nine cap. <clears throat> They're out there. But they're not going to be your metropolitan city. But that's where I would park my money if I were you. Um, and then again, it depends on what's your capital gains. Uh, out of the two and a half million, is it two hundred fifty grand? Well, if it's two fifty, and you want to split it two ways, you know, I would just pay the taxes and have no restrictions with timelines on the ten thirty one. But that's would be my recommendation. All right, and we had more people hop in. Uh, good morning, Leo. Mazyar, Vlad, Magnus, Chorus, Carmen. It's good to see everyone. Good morning, guys. All right. Next question is from Tim. It is a multi-part question. Mm -hmm. uh, so he started off and said, what systems do you have in place when investing in states out of California? I'm asking from an internal perspective. I know you use outside brokers, lenders, insurance providers, bankers, etc." Um, so question number one, mm -hmm. internally, how do you keep your labor cost and manpower at a minimum while still staying positioned for growth? Oh, that's multiple questions. But yeah, out of state deals, uh, typically, you know, I'm buying right now retail, uh, a small uh, garden style office. And I do the accounting in-house. I used to have a third party do the full management. Back then was in Houston, Caldwell, Watson companies this was 2004 to 2007 uh, uh for three years and then after that i brought everything in-house and i had my own property managers in houston which didn't do too well so what i recommend is hire a local property management company or it could just be a handyman if it's a small retail center to do your site visits so for your property site visit which at least once a week is what I recommend. It's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be costing you arm and a leg. And then accounting, you can just do it from California, Florida, whatever your home state is. Uh, sending invoices, you don't have to be, you know, <laughs> within vicinity of the property. Uh, that's what I would recommend. That's how I've done it, and that's how I'm still doing it. Um, all the accounting happens here in Irvine uh, for all our uh, properties in the portfolio, but we do have third party uh vendors locally that handle our uh, property maintenance all right you answered uh most of the other questions but i'll just go ahead and read them off see if you have anything else to add um so he said especially in regards to property management accounting partnerships like the bill in wisconsin mm -hmm. once you own the asset how do you manage it from so far away is everything outsourced from third-party vendors and at what point do you start bringing things in-house with your own personal employees for control and trust? Yeah, the last part, when do you switch to bringing everything in-house? When we have enough uh, management fee revenue and uh, cash flow coming in. Um, I know when I had my Houston properties, I started with three properties. I flipped those and then I bought you know, six and I grew it to 67 buildings by 2007. Uh, and I had it all outsourced completely to call a Watson company. And then it, towards the end, I brought everything in house, but you know, I was collecting 80,000, 200,000 a month in management fee. So, uh, bring in, uh, 
you know, a accounting a accountant, property managers, in-house, you know, it was justifiable, but it all depends as you grow your portfolio. But it definitely is not recommended to hire an accountant if you're just buying two, uh, you know, retail centers. It doesn't justify. It's got to have enough, you know, management fee revenue coming in. Awesome. So our next question is from Vince. Uh, Vince is a new member. It's good to see you. Happy to have you. And he said, hello, Manny, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, my question is, have you ever considered investing in Australia? And if so, were your rules for commercial properties, do's and don'ts the same as in the U.S.? Or did you need to alter some? And if not, what is your recommendation for us here in Australia? Oh, um, I've never looked at that market. Um, I've only invested inside of the United States. Um, a lot of my strategies that I teach you guys in the program will apply globally. No matter where you are, if you add value to dirt real estate, uh, you'll make a you know additional equity profit on the property. So uh, the tax ramification savings obviously are not going to be the same as U.S. Uh, I'm not sure if you can do cost segregations in Australia. I'm not sure about leveraging in terms of what's the banking industry uh, uh, provide on, in terms of uh, for investors. So those will obviously uh, not apply uh, the case studies I have shared with you in my program, but everything else to do with the property, uh, renegotiating the deal, all those is still apply. But no, I've never looked at Australia. Awesome, next question is from Jeremy. Uh, so his first one, he said, if my goal is financial independence, mm -hmm. so I can concentrate on real estate full time, would it be better to flip properties until I'm able to pay off my home and have no debt? Or should I slowly acquire enough properties to service my personal debt with cash flow from the properties? Great question. Well, I would say uh, neither. <laughs> I would keep flipping properties and don't pay off your home. What would you want to pay off a, you know, a mortgage that is, you can get for two in 2% 2 uh, range? Uh, uh, it makes no sense. To me, as an investor, if I'm flipping and making a lot more, right? So you want to make money with the bank's money. So don't pay it off, but continue flipping and grow your portfolio um, where your cash flow uh, supersedes your uh, current employment income and you can reach that financial freedom and quit. I don't know if you're working for a company or not, but that that's what I would do. And that's what I've done. All right, and then he followed it up with another question and said, with limited capital to start, 200,000, mm -hmm. and no existing network of finance partners and options, how would you suggest someone get started? We hear all the time that people can do this with little to no money up front, but that seems extremely hard when you're starting out with no connections. Yep, you know what? Um, I started with zero connections and I'm here now. So it takes time, you gotta put in the work, uh, find the market you wanna invest in, uh, whether it's Florida, Texas, Arizona, and start pulling up properties, start, start building your network, call the listing agents on those properties, pick their brain, tell them what your uh, criteria is, and you start building your Rolodex. And now you got connections. So it, you got to put in the time to build those connections. And it's going to take time. It's not going to be overnight. It may take you a year, maybe two years to fully immense yourself in that market and who's active, who's not, what's the price guidance uh, when it comes to selling your property, when it comes to buying it, and also for leasing. 
and who's your competition. So you got to put a, a lot of time into it to build your connections and network. And but it's uh, you know I'm teaching you guys uh, how I've done it, my strategies, but it's impossible for me to make those connections in every uh, you know sub market that's something you got to put in the time to make those connections all right and um jeremy you're also in a great place there's plenty of people in this group as well I'm that's sure right would be happy to connect and refer you to others in different markets um so the next one is from wash tech he said is there a certain amount of insurance you require your retail tenants to carry and how do you as the landlord figure out how much to require? Typically the liability insurance that's set forth in the lease for your tenants is a million dollar per occurrence and 2 million in aggregate. Uh, that's been a standard for as long as I remember, um, depending on you know uh, what type of asset it is, um, you may wanna opt that up, but I have a million and uh, 2 million aggregate in my policy and obviously you want to have make sure the tenant provides you the insurance certificate uh, with naming landlord as additional additional insured uh, before they occupy all right next question from aubrey uh good to see you aubrey said who puts together your offering memorandums etc i own a boutique brokerage so i don't have a marketing team and mm -hmm. curious if you can recommend a freelance group. Yeah, you know, um, that's a tough one on a small, very small deals like the one in Arizona. I just reworked the previous OM and I told the broker, hey, we're gonna use that. He, had, he didn't have a problem with it. But typically almost all my other buildings I've sold, um, I retain a, a third party broker that's active and they have their own marketing department, CB Richard, LS, Marcus and Melichev, Avison and Young. Um, they have their own huge department that that's all they do. But they still retain third party services such as like to get the aerial photos and uh, property photos. But um, I would recommend don't list your own property. Give it to a, a prominent broker firm, brokerage firm and let them handle it. Okay, next question from Ali. He said, I saw an office building listing in California in which the OM said regional commercial zoning mm -hmm. and max bar equals 3.5 with a uh, cup, which is a conditional use permit. Mm -hmm. um, what potential value would the conditional use permit bring to you in a property? Yeah, that's a tough one for development. Um, obviously it would be beneficial, but you got to see the conditions of that CUP. So that there's always conditions and uh, that's something you would, I would, uh, suggest uh, calling the city and getting a copy of that COP um, or the broker may have it. But yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Um, you have to talk to a development firm and also an architect once you get that COP and see if those restrictions are gonna benefit or they're gonna restrict you in, in, you know, in terms of developing the property. Okay, next question is from Ayadi. Um, he said, second home loan versus investment. Is it worth it? Um, I don't understand the question. Well, second home definitely uh, uh, offers a much lower rate and higher leverage versus investment. Um, a lot of the banks uh, will go ahead, hit you up with a one and a half point 
fee if it's an investment income property but on a second home there is no fees considered like your own primary and they go up a higher ltv so uh definitely second home if you're asking which loan is better i would go with the second second home got it next question from magnus magnus <laughs> he said if i am in a position where i'm selling a property and I'd like to do a cash out refinance to avoid getting too much cash stuck in an exchange, mm -hmm. but don't have the operating history or documentation to support a conventional lender cash out refi mm -hmm. without a prepayment penalty. What are my options for a cash out refi? Hard money lender. Um, a good one is Alliance Portfolio. I know I've given that uh, link to their website multiple times, but I can have Logan upload it again to Facebook. Um, the rate's high. It's, I think, 10, 10 or 11%, but there's no prepay penalty, and they fund within a week. Um, so if you're in escrow, you're selling it, and you want to cash out refi uh, in a very short uh, period of time, um, there's not many uh, lenders that can move quick. Um, other option is private money. doesn't have to be a bank. It could be a private person, someone you know they have two or three hundred thousand bucks and they'll just put a lien do a deed of trust and a note and this way you don't have to pay that one percent fee because most lenders will charge you a point and that's the cost um and and you know you want to avoid that you can just find somebody that has the money they're going to put a lien on the property sign a deed of trust and a note and they get paid in a week or two when you close so you know, since you've got bird in the hand and you're closing your property, it's almost no risk for them um, unless your buyer defaults. That's my recommendation. All right. Um, and then you mentioned this. We'll see if anything else uh, you have to add on top of it. He said, is there a lender who specializes in short-term cash refi for a property that is already in a hard contract to close so sellers can get money out of exchange prior mm -hmm. to close if so, what are the normal rates and terms for this type of loan? Yeah, well, make sure, Magnus, you don't tell the lender <laughs> that you're in escrow to sell. They wouldn't be interested to give you a loan um, because they're gonna you're gonna turn around and pay them off in two weeks. They'll make that one point, um, but most lenders are not in business to uh, get paid that quickly. Um, but the rates, like I said, it would be between ten and eleven percent interest only. And they typically go up, uh, you know, you know, 60, 65% LTV. Um, and they usually charge a point. And then you have to pay, obviously, title insurance uh, fee as well on that. Um, but, yeah, uh, if you want, again, we can put the Alliance Portfolios information for you. Yeah, so I just dropped that link in the comments, Magnus. And then he uh, commented, should I wait until the buyer is hard on contract? Um, and can I get a better rate if I do this? No, you won't get a better rate. Again, the best would be if you find someone that has the money. Let's say, uh, you know, uh, you have a friend that have 300 grand and tell him, hey, I'll give you, uh, you know, uh, five, uh, 3%, uh, you know, or uh, 3,000 bucks, I'm sorry. Uh, or a, set, a small set fee, if you're going to close in a month, they're making three grand and they're going to get paid. That would be your best bet. There's no fees. You do a short form due diligence, uh, a grand deed and a note, 
and escrow can prepare that for you since you opened escrow already and that would be quick easy if you go through alliance portfolio uh the interest rate you shouldn't be concerned with because you're closing it but that one point is what you're paying and if you're okay with that then uh, i would just go with them all right so guys we're gonna go ahead hop into the comments if you have uh, additional questions you'd like Manny to answer go ahead and start posting them there and we'll start with perla um it's good to see you here she said what do you think will cause home prices to come down in the near future oh well um foreclosures <laughs> distress uh properties uh in in short inventory so the reason uh the big part of the uh, big uh, you know price increase in properties is because of lack of inventory in addition to being uh, rates being lower but the inventory is what's pushing the prices up uh, if there is less uh, inventory obviously more people are fighting to get it so prices go up and with uh, distressed real estate on residential that i think it was 27 percent report came out today that foreclosures went up uh 27 percent filing in in foreclosures on homes because of the forbearance and that and <clears throat> that's going to cause uh definitely uh some excess inventory in the coming months and general i don't see the property market crashing on the residential side but there will be a correction um i think 2023 is when the real picture is gonna uh is going to surface and that's when i think the big correction is coming in a couple of years but you are going to see some for more foreclosures coming to the market because of the uh, end of the forbearance all right next question from Ms. yar um he said are you interested in partnering with your students the deal makes sense and how mm -hmm. specific are your requirements and what areas are you targeting and then mazar is also a new member so it's good to see you here brother hey welcome to the club um yeah i'm definitely i'm doing one with amin right now uh, he's in the group uh the deal would have to be you know substantial has a, have a substantial upside at least two million dollars or more uh the property we uh amin brought to me was uh definitely one that was a value add had great cash flows and also had more than two million dollar upside um um, on, on the value add so uh, retail in terms of type of property I uh, like retail with credit tenants this one was a CVS uh, anchored center in Wisconsin and we closed it and we're gonna out parcel CVS sell it which will recoup pretty much uh, what we paid for the entire property um, if it's a multi-tenant office uh, you know single story to a story or three story uh, that I can convert to medical tenant, a medical building that also interests me. Again, would have to have $2 million or more uh, in, in net gains uh, that we could add value. But uh, definitely I'm interested to look at deals, anything with a $2 million profit or more in those two asset classes. No developments, please. <laughs> awesome. Uh, next question from Hemi. It's good to see you here too. Um, he said, what is typical commercial broker fee? For example, residential is 6%. Mm -hmm. Well, brokers typically charge 
you know, on it depends on the deal size. Um, anything under five million bucks typically is four, four and a half percent. If it's they're very aggressive, five percent, and then they obviously share that with the uh, buyer's rep if there is a buyer's broker. Um, if it's above five million to ten million, usually is you know three to four percent, and anything over twenty, thirty million is usually one percent sometimes one and a half percent um you're not going to see six percent listing on a 20 million dollar high rise all right and then Hemi, you also asked do we have time to review the deal you emailed uh we do one property review call per month with that said if we have time today then we can bring it up and review that deal but we'll make sure to get to our other questions first and then we can possibly circle back um so the next question is from aaron uh he asked where do i start i have my texas license just seems overwhelming, uh, so I'm paralyzed and jumping in. And uh, before I hop it over to you, Manny, Aaron, we do have a game plan step-by-step -step on how to get started. It's in the members area. I'll make sure to drop that in the group and tag you on it as well after the call. So his question is, he got licensed, he feels paralyzed, and how to get started. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it all depends. Uh, you got licensed, so you got to hang your license with it local broker uh, realty firm um i would say if you plan to be full-time obviously get to work you know find out who's a top broker in the firm take him out to lunch and you know uh, ask him to be your mentor shadow him uh, start by being his transaction coordinator so you see uh, how he talks on the phone how he negotiates how he calls uh, cold calls possibly to get listings um, these are things you're going to have to hone your skills in if you want to be an active investor and a broker agent, uh, and it's going to take time. But also look at the market through your MLS, your local MLS, um, since you're a broker agent, and start looking at the market uh, pricing, uh, you know, properties that may have potential value at, and uh, get qualified, see if you can leverage it. If it's your first home, you may be qualified qualify for FHA loan, which is 97% financing. Uh, so there is a lot, um, I, and that's why you feel paralyzed. But take a deep breath, take your time. Uh, this is a long-term game plan for you. Um, we're not you know, telling everyone you're gonna be a millionaire overnight or even in six months, so it takes time. But, but Logan's gonna also drop a link yeah, so look out for that in the in the group after this call, Aaron. I'll tag you on on that post as well. Um, and then we have a question from Russell. He said, "Hi, Manny. Besides multiplex housing, which property types would you recommend to beginners for low cost and ease of management, etc.?" Well, it depends which market you're in, but in general, I like fourplexes uh, because it's considered a you know single dwelling home, and in terms of financing, you still can get ninety seven percent financing with FHA um, and is type that you could, you know, pretty easily underwrite. Um, you just look at what the neighborhood is supporting in terms of rent for a two bedroom, for example, and you look at what the landlord's collecting on the subject property. And if there is some room to push rents, well, that's an immediate value add. You buy the property, do some minor landscape improvement, maybe paint, uh, if the uh, tenants haven't had carpet replaced in five years, replace their carpet, 
paying the units and then bump the rent 100 bucks, 150 bucks a month per unit. And you can immediately add value by just doing that. So it's pretty simple to underwrite. So that's what I would start with. Uh, now, if in your area, there is extremely uh, very tight market when it comes to residential like California, you're not going to find a fourplex uh, that hasn't had a rent increase in the past 12 months. Very difficult. Then I would uh, venture off into looking at a small neighborhood center. So it all depends. But fourplex, triplex is what I would focus on. Awesome. Then we have a, another question from Ruben. He said, hi, Manny, when you buy a property, do you check if you can sell the roof before you buy or do you do it after? If there is cell tower equipment on there, I check before. Yeah. Got it. All right. And if that is the end of the questions, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there since we are one minute away from 1030. Um, we'll give it a few more seconds, see if any other questions drops in. And it looks like that's going to be it for the day. All right, guys. Oh, thanks for your time. If uh, you know you have more questions that uh, it's not coming to you now, it's going to come out to you later. Post it, and I'll get to it. With that, be safe, be well, and see you guys next week.